you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for LAist's new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We are where we eat. We'll go behind the scenes of LA restaurants. The kickoff event is May 22nd. Tickets at LAist.com slash events. could build the show any one of 25 different ways every week but we're building it on a very survival basis like what can we talk about without getting so wrapped up in the sadness that we actually can't make comedy that's samantha b host and executive producer of the tbs late night show full frontal there's a lot of observational humor about this situation that is there, but I think if TV shows are going to take it on, they need to be doing it from a really nuanced, fresh way. Otherwise, I think I would have a hard time watching that because it would just feel like reliving something I'm trying to, you know, kind of shed. And that's Rami Youssef, co-creator and star of the Hulu series, Rami. I'm John Horn. B and Yousef are writers and comedians trying to figure out not only how to work during the pandemic, but also what might be funny about the times that we're living in. Behind the scenes, they're both fighting for deeper change, including better representation. But is the TV industry ready to come along? This is Hollywood, the sequel. Welcome to our podcast. It's where we ask some of the entertainment industry's brightest minds how Hollywood might fix what's broken as it comes out of the pandemic. On her weekly late-night show, Full Frontal, which debuted in 2016, Samantha Bee offers a satirical and feminist take on the news. But more than laughs, she's also showing her audience how to become agents of change. Recently, she's done segments on saving the U.S. Postal Service, fighting voter suppression, and addressing hunger exacerbated by COVID-19. For her own industry, B says this is what a better future might look like. So many more voices would be brought to the table. So many different types of shows. So many different filmmakers and female filmmakers and people of color who are just given opportunities in this space. That And more people of color who become showrunners. Like, just really more showrunners alone is a huge step in the way that we tell stories and kind of broadening the kinds of stories that we tell. What about hiring on your level? Maybe more women on late night? Is that a possibility? Well, we've had that and then we regressed terribly, but please hire more, please hire more women in this space for God's sake. Oh, there are so many stories to tell and we you know, we just get like locked into these patterns all the time. But it's, we don't, we don't have to have those patterns anymore. We don't have to just accept it that way. Storytelling takes all forms. I think we all can see that our, my kids watch TikTok. I'm sure your kids watch TikTok. The level of comedy on TikTok is off the charts. And it looks completely different from anything I would ever even imagine. And I love it. 
Like just watching a girl on TikTok describing the fish in men's photos makes me laugh my ass off. I don't know what television will look like, but like if the old dinosaurs keep trying to make it the same way, it's just going to be a failure. Just a failure. Old people like me, we have to bend our mind around a new reality. I'm ready to do that. I don't know what TV will look like, but I'm excited to find out. I'm not fearful of that. I think, you know, it's like losing that fear. When production halted, the first question for Samantha B was, could her weekly show continue with no studio, no audience, and its staff all working from home? And then, should it? We didn't know what we would even say. The news was just like, everyone was just drowning in news and everything on the ground was changing at every second. So we took the following week's show off the schedule and just did a pause. And I, there was a moment where I was like, do we, should we do a show? I don't, I don't know. Should we even do a show? But then we were like, well, we should try because this is going to go on for a really long time. And do we really not want to be saying our piece during this time, this big lead up to an election, this huge pandemic, like we're a topical news show. There's never been a larger story than this thing that's happening right now to all of us. So we should plant a flag in this somehow. I think we can do it. And we just started lightly filming some content in the backyard. Oh, hi there. I'm Samantha Bee and I'm just hanging out at my house fully made up. You know, if there's one takeaway from the videos the other late night hosts put out, it's that they have incredible homes, but I can do you one better. I've got a woodshed. Why? Because I've been preparing for something like this for years. So now We have this big backyard that's quite forested. It seemed like the perfect backdrop. We thought we could do things in a lo-fi way, you know, literally just using the sun as the light that we used. So we didn't have like hung lights or any, there's no electricity back there. So everything's on batteries. I'm going to give you daily tips for how to survive and thrive while also social distancing. This is Being at Home. And we got everybody on board. And once we had this proof of concept, the network was like, you should try. And everybody at the show, we all wanted to just try to make a show because this is what we do. I mean, this is literally what we do. And what are we going to do if we're not making a show? So the logistics are one thing. And then the content is another thing. And I keep thinking about this concept of what my kids call doom scrolling, where you're kind of looking through what has gone wrong in the world every day. And when you think about your own doom scrolling and how you react to it as a person and then how you react to it as somebody who has a show, how much do those things overlap and how much are you thinking in real time about how you are positioned to react to things that are happening in the real world? Um, I think doom scrolling is very apt. And I do think, you know, I'm always thinking about the show. It's never really, it's never very far from my mind, but I think we're all kind of human beings first in this moment. So, you know, there's a lot of crossover. There always is. There always has been since the beginning of the show. Right now, I would say that I lean to more toward like the preservation of humanity than thinking about content for the show. Content for the show flows out of that full anxiety that we're all experiencing in our various quarters, like literally everyone from the show living in their own apartments. I mean, we could build the show any one of 25 different ways every week, but we're building it on a very survival basis. Like, what can we talk about without 
getting so wrapped up in the sadness that we actually can't make comedy. Like, what are we capable of saying right now? Do you think that's fundamentally different than before the pandemic? That question of what is and is not funny, what you can and cannot add to the conversation? Yeah, I think it is different. I mean, we've always, listen, we've always wrestled with, like, material that no one else had any interest in making comedy with. That's just, that's nothing new. But this, like, global anxiety and this, the specter of the pandemic is, that's, I mean, obviously that's wildly different. Sounds like you have some homeschooling going on. Yeah, there's a lot of education happening right now. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, welcome to Full Frontal. I'm Samantha Bee. Protesters are taking a stand against the horrors of police brutality. And to show how not brutally violent they are, the police have responded with absolutely brutal violence. When you were thinking about what you're going to do on a certain episode, obviously you're choosing a topic and then you're choosing what it is you're going to say about it. And I was just watching your episode about police brutality against black Americans. And at the end of that episode, you said their names, which is, you know, reciting the names of black Americans who have died at the hands of the police. We also need to be talking about Tony McDade, David McAtee, Michael Lorenzo Dean, Eric Reason, Atatiana Jefferson. So when you're thinking about how you give, you know, some sort of shape or commentary or even an occasional laugh to something that isn't really funny, how do you try to figure out what that balance is and what your path is as a storyteller and a comedian to share that information? Well, that is a long process, you know. That is not just Sam B, like, out there on her own. That's, like, that episode and every episode of the show represents the work of 65 to 70 people. You know what I mean? So that was, the process can be agonizing. Just, frankly, it can be an agonizing process, and I would say that it was, because, again, you're wrestling with these huge issues, and the subject is death and brutality. And we've, you know, what we've all witnessed So getting it exactly right is something that we're so, it's such a like curated, thought out moment in the show. Um, And I worry a lot, you know, and it's very different also to perform it in the forest to my husband. Like it's different from, (laughs) you know, there's no feedback really. So that's a very different experience too. And just birds are kind of chirping in the background and it's very, very quiet. And so we think long and hard about every episode, but particularly in those episodes that are responding to something massive that has happened or is happening or something that requires just the right kind of approach. One of the things that has happened across the country as the Black Lives Matter movement has really kind of permeated the way that we see ourselves, the way we see our jobs, Everybody is reexamining all of their beliefs and their behaviors. And something that may happen out of this is that the entertainment business, TV, film, however you want to define it, is going to ask some hard questions about its own behavior. Sure. And I'm wondering if you think, A, that will happen, and B, if it does, what are the kinds of questions that need to be asked and how can entertainment start to address its own history and its own shortcomings? I welcome these changes in these conversations for sure. I think like 
you know, even I look at my own leadership team and I don't have, you know, I don't have an executive producer who's black indigenous person of color. Like I need to look at that within my own show. Diversity has always been something we've thought about in every single hire and every single moment of the show. But even we can do better. And if we can do better, that means everybody can do a lot better. So it's really putting voices in positions of leadership, like at every level of the production, that's so vital to making the kind of changes that need to be made. Um, It's like when we started the show, too, when we started the show, I had this big lofty goal that we were going to start a big mentorship program at the show. Because, you know, when you're trying to hire and you are and you have diversity in your mind, you really have to reach into other, you have to work harder. You have to really work harder to recruit the right people for the jobs. So it was such a point of focus for us. And I really wanted to make a mentorship program that like accompanied that goal. And it was season one of a show. We didn't know what we were doing. Everybody was so strapped, like it was so stressful just trying to make a show every week that that goal really fell by the wayside. And then years passed and we never really came back to it. So this actually has been a really great wake up moment, continuing in that mission, but also materializing this goal that always was in the back of my mind, but not really possible. Now it's possible and it has to be possible for everybody. It's just the old days are gone. They are not worth remembering. (laughs) We have to create a new trajectory. Because I think what you're talking about is the barriers to entry are really high. And that one of the reasons that people hire the same people is it's hard to get a job until you have a job. And that means that the same people are going to be considered for the next job because they have it. And that's the real problem that once you get in, you might get work, but getting in requires action. might be mentorship. It might be something else. Yeah, it requires, it honestly just requires employers to, to hire people. And that is not always, you know, there's been, you know, it can be people just end up hiring people who they know, because by the, in the time that you know that you have a show and you have to make that show, you have not very much time to make a perfect workplace or a workplace that's functioning. So people don't actually take chances. I feel really proud of the chances that I did take when we were making the show. We have so many people working at our show who never worked in television before. And um, and that has had immense value, like the value, I can't state how valuable that has been for the voice of the show. It's, ex- you know, it has, it just expanded the possibility of the stories that we could tell with authority. It's such a smart and creative and better way to storytell. When we come back, actor and comedian Rami Youssef. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. 
Alayist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite LA restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at las.com slash events. Welcome back to Hollywood, the sequel. I'm John Horn. How are you? I'm good. How's the hair and the beard looking good? Oh my God, it's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> Rami Youssef is a stand-up comedian, and he's the co-creator and star of the Hulu series, Rami. It's a fictionalized version of his life growing up in New Jersey as a practicing Muslim and the son of immigrant parents. We talked with Youssef on Zoom just as he was wrapping up post-production on season two of his series, and he explained how things unfolded for the show once Hollywood started to shut down. We had three days of shooting left that we canned, um, but we kind of basically had all our principal photography done, but we had stuff that like we needed to grab, that I wanted, all that kind of thing. That all went out the window, and we were like, all right, whatever, we're just going to figure it out in post. It's like not a big deal. Um, like it is the artist in me is like, Fuck, but like, I'm like, people aren't going to notice that I wanted this other thing, you know, whatever. Um, so, but by the time we weren't allowed to see each other again, we'd only finished edits on like, I think four of the episodes or three of them. It's so wild. Cause we're at a distance. It takes a long time to upload stuff. So like they do like low res exports and the fastest way to send them is like iMessage. So I'm like editing the show via text message in Google Docs. Like it's like the crazy. I'm like, has anyone finished a television show via iMessage? The show has been renewed for a third season and then it made history, becoming the first sitcom about Muslim Americans to land an Emmy nomination. Both Youssef and his season two co-star Mahershala Ali were nominated. I asked Rami how he thought the pandemic would work its way into comedy and storytelling. To talk about this time, um, yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think that we're still getting World War II movies. I think that we will be getting Corona movies and TV shows for a very long time because it's affected so many people in so many different ways. And I think there's actually going to be a pretty deep well of, of stories that go around it. Um, but I also think that like with, you know, meme culture and online reactions, uh, I think it's like artists' responsibility when making something for TV or film to kind of try and accomplish or say something that like can't be done via meme or via TikTok or via whatever. Because there's a lot of observational humor about this situation that, that, that is there. But I think if TV shows are going to take it on, they need to be doing it from a really nuanced, fresh way. Otherwise, I think um, I would have a hard time watching that because it would just feel like reliving something I'm trying to, you know, kind of shed. But if I'm watching something that gives me some new perspective on it to help me digest it, then I'm excited. There was a story I saw a couple of weeks ago that said in shelter at home circumstances, the average American is streaming eight hours of content every day. It was four before. Now, there are people who clearly have a lot of time on their hands and also they might have lost their jobs. But in terms of how the world is changing and you've got a show that's on a streaming site, oddly enough, do you think the whole way that we think about entertainment, even if the shift was happening before this happened, is it accelerating? How do you see the world changing 
in terms of where and how we watch stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's interesting, like being, you know, I think it hit me the first time, like last season, where it's like I, it was like ten years of like doing comedy and stand up really went into season one, and then someone will walk up to me on the street and be like, "Dude, I watched your show on Saturday. It was pretty good." And I'm like, oh, this is so funny. It's like, it's like you do all this stuff and it's like somebody watches it in one day and they're like, cool. Like it, 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 there's something as a creator where you like realize how the streaming cycle works, where it's like, on one hand, it's amazing because it's like more, like there's kind of a need for more content. So it's like, I feel like, oh, even with what's going on with the pandemic or even before it, like whatever it is, it's like, it, there's something about television that's like, it's almost like low key kind of blue collar. It's like, yeah, we need TV shows. Let's get TV show guys. Like there's like something about it that it feels like a solid job oddly, because it's like, there really is this need that people have to be entertained in this way. Um, that's so different from movies. Let me ask you about stand up because you're a comedian, comedy clubs like movie theaters are closed and who knows when they're going to reopen. And there are a couple things that are central to that. One is the whole idea of going to hear somebody who can make you laugh and how important that is. Mm -hmm. The other thing is how people get discovered. You know, a comedian yeah. becomes an actor, that that is in many ways like the new audition site for the next generation of performers and it's gone. So what does that mm -hmm. mean for not only the audience who misses, you know, being with people and laughing, but how important comedy clubs are for people launching their careers? How important it was for you? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting, man. It's like, it's really, I, I, I feel super fulfilled on a level because I get to make my, my show and um, I feel this like whole, like this empty feeling of not being able to go out and do stand up the last couple of months. You know, it's, it's, there's something about, like you said, people watching eight hours of streaming at home and this and that. It's like, that's such a bubble. There's something about being able to like get in front of people and talk about something that happened today in real time and connect in that way that um, is so important. It's it's just like this like connection that I think for someone like me, I could never fulfill doing my show. I could never fulfill doing even putting out a stand-up special. It's not the same as live stand-up. And so it definitely, you know, hurts on that level. And then in terms of, yeah, just like I got discovered through stand-up, you know, like through sketch and through stand-up. Those were like the things that, those were, it was all about live performance. And so, you know, it, it, there's people who get discovered from TikTok or whatever online now, but there's something about prepping your work for a live audience that I still think makes the work sharper because there's something about that real life contact where it's not just likes and comments, but you just, you can feel how an audience is breathing, like where you just kind of like, it really helps you tune into what, what's good or what's working or what's not working about what you're making. And so, yeah, on a developmental level, I feel for people who are coming up, but I also feel for myself because a lot of the stuff in my show, I work out on stage. In the weeks to come, we'll hear from Ruth Carter, the Oscar-winning costume designer for Black Panther. When I look at a lot of things that have come out recently, I just, you know, I'm kind of sad that they weren't on the big screen. It's something that I think will never go away. We'll always have movies, but, you know, my work is for the big screen. Our thanks to Samantha B. and Rami Youssef and to you for listening. 
We hope you'll subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please give us a rating, leave us a comment, and share the podcast. This episode of Hollywood the Sequel was produced by Shelley Lewis and Monica Bushman with help from Darby Maloney and Jessica Pilot. Our engineer and sound designer is Eduardo Perez. Our theme music is composed by Nicholas Bratel. Hollywood the Sequel is a production of LAS Studios. I'm John Horn. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events.